Welcome back to Mux Madness. Yeah, we are back. We are doing it again. We're doing uh, it again. Doing it again. Ladies and gentlemen, we're starting a new chapter, which is always exciting Ooh. times here at Mark's Madness. You know, some Ooh. people get excited when they're going to start a new book on a, on a show like this, but not us. No, chapters are our headers. <laughs> that is That's our new book. <laughs> that is our new book. It's it's a whole new book. Look, it's a we, whole new one. With we stuff. only do like 10 of those a year. All right. Come it's, on now. All right. You know what? You're not you're not 100% wrong, but I don't like it. Um, that being said, we are starting... Uh, chapter ten, David. Any uh, any current events that we want to hit on? Anything that we feel needs needs touching? Uh, well, it's obviously. Yeah. I, I hope people are aware that it's snowing in Saudi Arabia. That Texas, on its own separate power grid, in order to privatize power versus the east and west of the country, um, are suffering power outages that were advertised as rolling blackouts to manage a lack of power. Well, Republicans went out and, and got ahead, largely lobbied by the oil companies that they, they basically all work for anyway, um, to, to start a narrative about it being, aha, the wind power fucked up. And it was actually more, especially natural gas, but also coal and even nuclear power, um, which has its pluses and minuses in being green versus being dangerous. Uh, but obviously, you know, fossil fuels, coal and natural gas were the biggest part of the problem. Um so the story was bullshit, but even if they, they weren't these like making this an aha moment and a, and a dig at environmentalism and aha, they have to clean off these windmills that failed us. And, and, you know, absolute crack of shit. Thousands of people are, or millions of people are suffering. Thousands of people are, are die. At least hundreds of people, probably thousands of people are dying. dying, but also these unannounced rolling blackouts are not like, a rolling maintenance blackout where your power's out for 5% of the time and you're asked to turn your heat down a little bit and then it kicks back on. There were supposed rolling blackouts. Uh, no, they're just straight up blackouts. And they were not even done with all of the failings, with all of the failings of the outputs of the fossil fuels and even the wind being down a little bit, not not much, not very impactful. And solar actually being up. Um, it's not a lack of power that caused these. They just thought it would be too expensive. And so they literally privatized the energy and then cheaped out and killed people. And then the guy who wrote up this whole idea of this privatization in Texas, I think he worked at Yale or Harvard or something, was interviewed in one of the big magazines. He was like, well, this is how it's supposed to work. This is the free market. It's, it's, it's good. And in demand, you know, it, it manages demand or whatever the fuck. It's just the most ghoulish thing I ever read. Um, and, clear, and of course, just, just, just for clarification, because this will come out later, we're recording this on February 18th. Yes. Um, as of yes. now, Hope. it looks like by the time you're listening to this, that this should be God willing, should be passed and should be over. Um, by the time you're listening be... to our next episode, which was like two episodes before this, this God willing should be over by several days. So that'll yes, be this should be that'll be fantastic. Be well, well over this at this point, over in the sense of the cold wave over. I mean, obviously, snow melting can be as dangerous, if not more yes. dangerous, on houseless people, specifically, especially in tent communities, than than the snow and, and the cold itself. Um, but largely, broadly, for the tenants, for the people dealing with birth pipes, people on oil, boil orders with no no heat, for the incredible amount of carbon monoxide poisoning deaths because people are going into their cars to heat up and not either sufficiently clearing the snow from the exhaust or doing it indoors because they're desperate for some kind of heat. 
Um, you know, I mean, all of all of those things should be hopefully long died down by by the time you hear this. So again, because America has the memory of a fruit fly, do not forget this moment. Do not forget Ted Cruz running to Cancun. Um, but also, you know, regardless of this 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 bullshit wind story, the stupidest thing about it is not only the ahaing and trying to make a political dig out of it, mostly based on a lie. This is just like like the COVID with with Wuhan, right? It was. It should have been preparing for a virus and being concerned, not trying to make a political dig about how it's another country over there. And it was mostly a lie, how it was this other country over there, and we were super prepared and, and arrogant. The same thing happened here. Regardless, even if it was actually the wind machines and it was just their failing, it wasn't that they just cheaped out and blacked out just to try to save money and penny pinch. Which they did. Which they did. Let's be clear. They killed people like very purposely to save money, which is not unusual for capitalism. Um, and even if it was the wind machines, it was still caused by global warming that came from the fossil fuels. And it was still only happening on the only private grid of the three grids in the United States, which is only three grids instead of two to make this private. And throughout all of this, even with the glaring like Ted Cruz going on vacation, which I... That is like Marie Antoinette shit times 10 right there. Um, you know, I mean, let, like fucking let them eat cake with with deadly cold. Um, well, even with, with all of that. Dude. Yeah. Even with all that, remember that like all of Congress is on vacation and we were already in a pandemic and they're already not giving us the, the survival checks we need. So this is not the the most they're the only egregious thing happening right now and it is the result of fossil fuels and global warming and it was all based on bullshit so don't forget the lies and and the narrative don't forget what happened and don't let your friends forget you know build off of this also remember too um and i, I saw it actually a, a twitter take that they really put it uh well it said that you know moments like this don't spark revolutions moments like this spark organizing and that's important um, you know, there's this accelerationist idea that that crisis drives revolution, and obviously there is going to be moments and, and points that spark revolution. But revolution drives off organizing, and moments like this allow a pathway to organize. So, you know, accelerationism doesn't work, and it, it eggs on human suffering. And actually, there's gains made once the organizing is underway, and revolutions are gained by momentum. But this is an opportunity to organize. There is a a reason. That the, and this is why people fall for accelerationism. That the most troubled places and and populations tend to be the revolutionary masses, is because there's an opportunity to organize in a moment like this. This is an opportunity to go out and help people. Okay, they need that help, and when you help them, you can educate them on why they need help and how they can help themselves and how they can help others. Spread that education and spread it into a militant group. Use that group to use this opportunity to create survival structures that we will need before and after revolution and show people that they can depend on each other and uh, can depend on you and educate them politically yeah. to put that into action and take charge. This is a moment to organize on, because mostly because you, people need it, mostly because, people, but also because it's opportunity. Yeah. And again, depend on you is one thing. Depend on each other, I think, is the biggest one there. Depend on, mm -hmm. yeah. don't be, you know, this isn't a pull yourself up by your boots. Yeah, this is not to hey, try I'm to be a superhero. Yeah. No, this is to show people that there are alternative ways that you can organize mm -hmm. for your own, your own good and your own self-defense and your own, um, 
well-being that are outside of the structures that you currently think exist. There are ways that you can help each other and help help uh, other people in meaningful, impactful, and, and powerful ways that are outside of the realm of what you currently think is possible. And and here's why. And here's other places that have done it. And here's ways that you can do it. Um, again, just just there are and yeah. I know there are a lot of uh, mutual aid groups popping up all over Texas right now, trying mm-hmm. to. Um, that are, that probably were already there to begin with. They would have had to be to be able to mobilize this quickly, but um, that are doing great work down there. And so, just anyone anyone in that area that's doing the work, you're again, that's <laughs> you're you're doing God's work. You're doing the good fight down there. Thank you, thank you so much for anything that anyone in any comrades in Texas have been able to do. You know, we we should mostly be organizing because people need it, and we care about these people. Again, you know, mean means in the end. We we've talked about this before, right? Like socialism is the means to the end of liberating the oppressed masses, right? And so, I mean, we should be doing this to care for people. So we should do this mostly because people need it, but also as an opportunity to organize because this is going to fill a long-term need for people if we have this revolution. So this is a time that people need alternative systems of survival and alternative systems of power. We need those all the time, but this is an acute need for it. And so use this as an opportunity to fill that acute need to bolster and understand what those systems systems of survival and what those systems of power need and then we can use those systems of power to not only make our conditions better in the meantime as we progress to revolution but also those can be the systems that we transition to in revolution so this is a time that can be a bedrock for revolution and that's where you know accelerationism is wrong we don't need more suffering for revolution we don't want more suffering but we do use the moments of more suffering to better organize, and it's that organizing that leads to a revolution. And so this is not, again, as as the, the take I like the best, this is not an opportunity for revolution. This is an opportunity to organize. Yes. Um, and there's one more uh, take out of this. There's one more mm, thing I've been seeing that I think is worth addressing, um, and that has been coming from our good, good liberal friends who – Oh are, God! The aha Texas deserves a yeah, shit. Yeah, this I this this vote yeah. shaming. You deserve this sort of Schadenfreude of of of, of yeah. pleasure in the suffering of other people simply because they didn't vote for the team that you liked. Kind of a thing, right? I mean, right. Let's start with first and foremost. Democrats aren't solving any problems. I mean, this came on the heels of Biden being like, people are like, I, you know, I'm suffering. I need help with this student loan. Can you tell me what, you know, how you're going to help me with this student loan? And Biden just straight up to someone in town. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to help you. Yeah. Like this was happening during this, you know, this was happening during a pandemic where they're trying to open up schools. This is happening when they're flubbing the the vaccine rollouts as as much as anyone. This is happening, you know, at a time where they're not paying us the stimulus checks that they promised that people specifically voted, especially in the Georgia runoff for. Um, you know, I mean, this is a time where where they're showing their hand to not be any different. And again, they're on vacation too. You know, so they're not any better. On top of that, more importantly, people are suffering. People are dying. This is not political. Aha. This is what we just got on about the whole like, oh, it was actually the wind turbines. Aha. Like, this is crisis. People are suffering and dying, and something needs to be done about it. There, it's not political score point time. Um, you know, especially when it's bullshit. But Democrats could be coming in. It's this is a disaster, right? This, I mean, Joe Biden runs the whole like. And we talked about how much it's bullshit with the climate change as a national security issue thing because it shows you're not going to do anything in climate change. You have the same xenophobic uh, 
views on immigrants as Trump. Um, that's why you target 2050 and beef up border security. You're, you're literally preparing for the Mad Max situation when climate change you know, comes to kill people and play off like you're the one out there to do climate change when you call it a national security issue. This shows that bullshit. This is a time where you go, oh, climate change is a national security issue, and you have troops out there, you know, say, distributing the COVID vaccine just for show. That's pure propaganda value. You could have doctors doing it. That's pure fucking propaganda value. And you can't even put the propaganda value. I mean, this is what the National Guard loves, this kind of propaganda, where disaster hits, and they're out there in the floods and the boats, you know, picking people up. We're the real heroes. We're the responders when you need it. When there's just as many community people not getting the camera. This is the exact moment that needs that and you can't even fucking do that you're just scoring a political point and going aha you guys get to suffer because republicans and the people that are suffering are the people that already suffer the most from having the least state support because they're living in this right-wing state the people that suffer the most facing you know the communities poor and communities of color that are facing the most egregious racism because people are encouraged they're in they're in these these states where they feel like they can get away with it you know, so the people that, that face the harshest poverty and the harshest racism are the ones on the butt end of this. And you're looking at the people that are sitting back in comfort, flying to Cancun, making out like this on a fat, like a fat rat and cause this and pointing at them and going, aha, because of them, all of you people suffering deserve this. I cannot imagine a bigger crock of bullshit. It, it just, it, and it just seems so. This is not the, the oh, so much for the tolerant left. Like, th- this just seems like, how yeah. are you that devoid of compassion for other people? Mm-hmm. Like, how how are you that? Well, and remember, liberals liberals are the moderates that we have to bring in Republicans, and people are just ignorant. I mean, you show them. I mean, they love these, the ignorant white supremacists that turn stories in their movies and shit like that. And yet, all of a sudden, now when the suffering comes, and they, they imagine these suffering communities of color and these suffering poor communities that are not the cause of the bigotry as these, these liberals are as the, I'm sorry, as these, these white supremacist conservatives. And now you don't have any compassion for them when they are suffering. You know, you're the one spinning up these bullshit economic anxiety narratives. Yeah. And now you have people actually facing suffering and there's no compassion for them. It's it's absolutely absurd. but but more importantly, they're not the it's not the white supremacist suffering. It's the communities of color it's suffering. It's the poor people suffering. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with that, I think we're going to transition into the reading for this week. Yes, yes, yes. Before we transition into the reading, Blues tied it up on an empty netter. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, <laughs> overtime, baby. Let's go. Um, we can cut that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we aren't cutting that out we're a hockey we're podcast a hockey podcast that also sometimes talks about politics um <laughs> but yes uh <laughs> so chapter 10 the black proletariat in south carolina now there's a star yes. an asterisk next to proletariat the black proletariat um and so if you go down to the bottom of this page you get this nice little footnote from dr du bois the record of the Negro worker during Reconstruction presents an opportunity to study inductively the Marxian theory of the state. I first called this chapter the dictatorship of the black proletariat in South Carolina. I would have liked that chapter title. But yes. It has been brought to my attention that this would not be correct since universal suffrage does not lead to a real dictatorship until workers use their votes consciously to rid themselves of the dominion of private capital. 
There were signs of such an object among South Carolina Negroes, but it was always coupled with the idea of that day that the only real escape for a laborer was himself to own capital. That is a very astute analysis and a very astute reasoning for why you yes. name this chapter that. Yes. Um, so in 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 other news, um, I love WB Du Bois, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the the only good Harvard just pronouncing man. my the love. only good Harvard man. Yes, the only good Harvard man. Just just totally unrelated. Just just randomly pronouncing my love for him. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it's just yeah, it's so it's so good. And again, that. Mm-hmm. You you want to talk about a person? So again, that this should just color again. You're you're when you listen to his analysis, when you listen to what he's talking about, know that he knows these things. This is his background. This he has this kind of idea in his head. Um, mm-hmm. a great political scientist in one of the oldest and largest of American universities wrote and taught thousands of youths and readers that there is no question now that Congress did a monstrous thing and committed a great political error, if not a sin, in the creation of this new electorate. It was a great wrong to civilization to put the white race of the South under the domination of the Negro race. The claim that there is nothing in the color of the skin from the point of view of political ethics is a great sophism. A black skin means membership in a race of men which has never of itself succeeded in subjecting passion to reason, has never therefore created any civilization of any kind. Mm, and there's there's a key white supremacist argument is like we created civilization we're the civilized people what we what has anybody else ever done we deserve dominion over others i mean it it reeks it reeks and it hurt to read and i didn't enjoy any of it Mm. here is the crux of all the national discussion and study of reconstruction the problem is incontinently put beyond investigation and historic proof by the dictum of judge tanny andrew johnson john burgess and their confrays Confries? Confreres. Uh, com- confreres, confreres, I guess. Yes, mon confreres. There we go. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing tropes. We got them. Um, that Negroes are not men and cannot be regarded and treated as such. The student who would test this dictum by facts is faced by this set barrier. The whole history of Reconstruction has, with few exceptions, been written by passionate believers in the inferiority of the Negro. The whole body of facts concerning what the Negro actually said and did, how he worked, what he wanted, for whom he voted, is massed in such a cloud of charges, exaggeration, and biased testimony that most students have given up all attempt at new material uh, new material or new evaluation of the old and simply repeated perfunctorily all the current legends of black buffoons in legislature, golden spittoons for the field hands, bribery and extravagance on an unheard of scale, and the collapse of civilization until an outraged nation rose in wrath and ended this ridicule, ridiculous travesty. And yet, there are certain quite well-known facts that are irreconcilable with this theory of history. Civilization did not collapse in the South in 1868 to 1876. That's a biggie. and awe. The charge of industrial anarchy is faced by the fact that the cotton crop had recovered by 1870, five years after the war, and by 1876, the agricultural and even commercial and industrial rebirth of the South was in sight. The public debt was large, but measured in depreciated currency and estimated with regard to war losses and the enlarged functions of a new society. It was not excessive. 
The legislation of this period was not bad, as is proven by the fact that it was retained for long periods after 1876, and much of it still stands. I wouldn't say the fact that a law still stands means it's not bad. We still have that whole Constitution thing that we're dealing with, <laughs> Dr. Du Bois, but, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, think about the people that are arguing against this. So, by their in their estimations, again— I know, like, aha and hypocrisy, and you said this about this isn't really a winning argument when you know they're bullshitting. But nonetheless, that, that's what he's saying, right? I mean, by, by those people's measures, obviously, if the law still stands, it must be good. Well, the law still stands. So what are you talking yeah. about? One must admit that generalizations of this sort are liable to wide error, but surely they can justifiably be balanced against the extreme charges of a history written for purposes of propaganda. And above all, no history is accurate and no political science scientific that starts with this gratuitous attempt assumption that the Negro race has been proven incapable of modern civilization. Such a dogma is simply the modern and American residue of a universal belief that most men are subnormal and that civilization is the gift of the chosen few. David, take it away. Since the beginning of time, most thinkers have believed that the vast majority of human beings are incorrigibly stupid and evil. The proportion of thinkers who believe this has naturally changed within historical evolution. In the earliest times, all men but the chosen few were impossible. Before the middle class of France revolted, only aristocracy of birth and knowledge could know and do. After the American experiment, a considerable number of thinkers conceived that possibly most men had capabilities, except, of course, Negroes. Possibly never in human history before or since have many men believed that in the manhood of so many after the Battle of Port Hudson, when Negroes fought for freedom blues win Peron overtime boom uh oh hey yeah cool <laughs> hockey podcast hockey podcast so, separately we are not a, a fiction novel podcast we're a theory podcast but oh my god just reading that last paragraph between the like you know all men believe that they're they're society is greatly uncivilized and there's the great few pushing it and just the prods of the evolution of this thinking it felt like i was reading everything ian malcolm said in the jurassic park novel again from my childhood <laughs> it's weird where is my crossover uh, with jeff goldblum is he canceled he's probably canceled at this point yeah, probably. Um, all men know that by sheer weight of physical force, the mass of men must in the last resort become the arbiters of human action. But reason, skill, wealth, machines, and power may for long periods enable the few to control the many. But to what end? The current theory of democracy is that the dictatorship is a stopgap pending the work of universal education, equitable income, and strong character. But but always, the temptation is to use the stopgap for narrower ends, because intelligence, thrift, and goodness seem so impossibly distant for most men. We rule by junta, we turn fascist, because we do not believe in men. Yet the basis of fact in this disbelief is incredibly narrow we know perfectly well that most human beings have never had a decent human chance to be full men most of us may can be convinced that even with opportunity the number of utter human failures could be vast and yet remember that this assumption kept the ancestors of present white america long in slavery and degradation it is then one's moral duty to see that every human being to the extent of his capacity escapes ignorance poverty and crime With this high ideal held unswervingly in view, monarchy, oligarchy, dictatorships may rule, but the end will be the the rule of all, if mayhap all or most qualified. 
The only unforgivable sin is dictatorship for the benefit of fools, voluptuaries, gilded satraps, prostitutes, and idiots. I don't even know what a satrap is. I, that is a lot of old either. timey. I'm going to look up what a satrap is to make sure we didn't just say a slur. Keep going. Yeah, okay. Uh, the rule of the famished, unlettered, stinking mob is better than this and the only inevitable, logical, and justifiable return. To escape the ultimate democracy is, a pos- is as impossible as it is for ignorant poverty and crime to rule forever. See, this is this, – okay, speaking of, of, of Crichton, this is, this is the range of Du Bois because now I feel like I'm reading Sartre. This just just immediately shot a different direction. Yeah. A satrap, by the way, is a provincial <laughs> governor in the ancient Persian Empire or any subordinate or local ruler. We're safe. Okay. We're safe. Cool. <laughs> this book has not always been this safe. This book has been anything that but kind safe. Of minefield. <laughs> I, have, I have learned many new words that uh, I will never yes. use again. Um <laughs> The opportunity to study a great human experiment was present in Reconstruction, and its careful scientific investigation would have thrown a world of light on human development and democratic government. The material today, however, is unfortunately difficult to find. Little effort has been made to preserve the records of Negro effort and speeches, actions, work and wages, home and families. Nearly all this has gone down belief a mass of ridicule and caricature, deliberate omission and misstatement. No institution of learning has made any effort to explore or probe reconstruction from the point of the view of the laborer, and most men have written to explain and excuse the former slaveholder, the planter, the landowner, and the capitalist. I really like that last yeah. sentence. No institution of learning has made any effort to explore or probe reconstruction from the point of the view of the laborer, and most men have written to explain and excuse the former slaveholder, the planter, the landowner, and the capitalist. This really – it digs up what we know about, like, you know, say what we know of socialism or, 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 you know, any official U.S. enemy is the same kind of thing, right? We don't look at the perspective of the people liberated. We're looking at the perspective of, of the, the, the people that are supposed to be on our side because we're on the side of capitalists and they're enemies. And, and you see the same thing here. So, you know, of course, this is our real struggle. That's a good sign that, that that's the thing that really scares U.S. rulers is the emancipation of the oppressed masses, especially black and indigenous people, as as this shows and as the the mishistory or a history of reconstruction that we know it's shows. This old, it's this old adage of and it's bad, but it's true. History is written by the victors. We yeah we, we saw oh, yeah, that yeah. on top at the end of it. We know how this how this ends, and this is a book that is is aimed at analyzing the untold kind of part of that. But, mm-hmm. but the general history is written by the people that came out on top, and we know who came out on top of this. We know that Reconstruction was framed as a failure, um, and it was yeah. framed that way because the people that ended up in power after it was all said and done didn't want it to be viewed as anything but a failure. Absolutely. Uh, the loss today is irreparable, and this present study limps and gropes in darkness, lacking most essentials to a complete picture. And yet the writer is convinced that this is the story of a normal working class movement, successful to an unusual degree, despite all disappointment and failure. South Carolina has always been pointed to as a typical Reconstruction state. It had in 1860 412,320 Negroes and 291,300 whites. Even at the beginning of the 19th century, the 200,000 whites were matched by 150,000 Negroes. And the influx from the border and the direct African slave trade brought a mass of black slaves to support the new cotton kingdom. 
There had always been small numbers of free Negroes, a little over 3,000 at the beginning of the century, and nearly 10,000 in 1860. Slavery was the driving force of the state's industrial and social life. It was the institution which made South Carolina different from the states in the North. It was the principal reason why the white manhood of the state had fought so desperately. The economic loss which came through war was great, but not nearly as influential as the psychological change, the change in habit and thought. Imagine the 54th Massachusetts Color Regiment heading the Union troops which entered Charleston and singing John Brown's Body. A nun writes from that city concerning the changes which have come and which seem to her unspeakable. All right, here I go. Could you but see these delicate ladies in houses void of furniture, reduced to the wash tub and the cook pot? Your heart would bleed. There were other Carolina women, not to be sure ladies, to whom the chance to wash and cook for themselves spelled heaven in these days. The hatred of the Yankee was increased. The defeated Southern leaders were popular heroes. Numbers of Southerners planned to leave the country and go to South America or Mexico. Oh, good. Go colonize. Look at you. (laughs) And yet the slaveholders had not lost all by any means. There were 638 persons in the South Carolina who were later pardoned by President Johnson because they had taxable property worth more than $20,000. They had their land. That is the American story of how you get a pardon. (laughs) They had their land, their tools, and while certain cities had been wrecked and pillaged, the great mass of the plantations had not been touched. The railroads had been injured but not destroyed. Most of the 18 cotton factories were not touched. The labor situation and the prospect of free Negroes caused great apprehension. It was accepted as absolutely true by most planters that the Negro could not and would not work without a white master. The hard N-word, sir, is a savage whom the almighty maker appointed to be a slave. A savage. With him free, the South is ruined, sir. Ruined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, good, good, good on you. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, these apprehensions were not fulfilled. William Henry, Henry Trescott said, when Negroes heard that freedom was coming, there was no impatience, no insubordination, no violence. They received their freedom quietly and soberly. They remained pretty petty, pretty stead, steadily, good God, on the farms of their masters, a very general disposition being manifest to adjust the terms of compensation on a reasonable basis. One great and real loss which the state suffered was the 12,922 men killed in battle and dead of wounds. Perhaps it can be concluded that the lack of distinctive achievements by South Carolinans since the war is in no small measure due to this loss. It was estimated by the census that land values declined 60% between 1860 and 1867, and that all farm property between 1860 and 70 decreased from 169 million to 47 million. In May 1865, a meeting was held in Charleston, and a committee was sent to talk with President Johnson. He ta- asked them to submit a list of names from which he might select a provincial governor, and finally selected Benjamin F. Perry. This was, on the whole, an unfortunate selection. Perry was a devoted follower of Johnson and believed that Johnson had the power and backing to put his policies through. He immediately succeeded in having all Negro troops withdrawn, and he was certain that the North was with him, and Johnson in standing for a purely white man's government. Great. I'm sure Johnson was all for that. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm sure Johnson Johnson fucking loved it. Boned up for it. The Johnson Convention met and took some advanced steps. By a small majority, they did away with property qualifications for members of the legislature, but refused to count Negroes as basis of apportionment. 
This was a blow to the former slaveholders and a step toward democracy so far as the whites were concerned. But it was coupled with absolute refusal to recognize the Negroes. Perry insisted on letting property retain its right of representation in the legislature, despite the opposition of President Johnson. The convention wanted to abolish slavery only on condition that Negroes be confined to manual labor and that slave owners be compensated. Oh, my God. They were given to understand, however, that Johnson would not accept this. Oh, goody. And they finally declared that since the slaves had been emancipated by the United States, slavery should not be reestablished. In the elections for this convention, there was little interest. Only about one-third of the normal vote was cast on the coast and inland. There were, in many cases, no elections at all. In the election, which followed again, only 19,000 votes were cast. Ex-Governor Orr received a small majority and would have been beaten by Wade Hampton if Hampton had not refused the use of his name. Orr was a man of striking personality and had once been Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. The legislature, which met after this election, passed one of the most vicious of the black codes. It provided for corporal punishment, vagrancy, and apprenticeship laws openly made the Negro an inferior caste and provided special laws for his governing. Oh, surprise, surprise. Oh, God. Neither humanity nor expediency demanded such sharp distinctions between the races in imposing punishments. The restriction of Negro testimony to cases in which race was the race was involved was not common sense. The free admission of such testimony in all cases would not have involved surrender of power by the whites since they were to be the judges and jury. The occupational restrictions, instead of tending to restore order, created the impression that the dominant race desired to exclude the blacks from useful employment. It was impractical for a poverty-stricken commonwealth to have projected such elaborate schemes of judicial and military reorganization. There was increased difficulty in the economic situation. The war had ended in late spring 1865 so that the crops of that year were short and there was crop failure for the next two years. All this complicated matters. In addition to this, the splendid start which the Negroes had on the islands of Port Royal and on the Sea Islands was interrupted. Johnson's proclamation and orders of 1865 provided for the early restoration of all property except property in slaves and such of the Port Royal lands as had been sold for taxes. The landlords hurried to get their pardons and to take back their lands. The Negroes resisted sometimes with physical force. When some of the landlords visited Edesto Island, the Negroes told them, David, what they tell them? You had better go back to Charleston and go out to work there. And if you can do nothing else, you can pick oysters and earn your living. Ah! But these... Jeez. But these white men were not used to earning their own living. They were used to having Negroes do that for them. Now they had the federal government back their claims. General Howard came down to facilitate the transfer and explain the condition to the Negroes. Still, the black folk were dissatisfied. I wonder why. They drew up. Yeah, no kidding. Where's where's the oyster getting? Um, so anyway, <laughs> General Howard came oh they drew up a petition to president johnson asking for at least an acre and a half of land the planters came, became overbearing and the negroes angry saxton who had placed them on the land was dismissed and howard deprived of his power so that finally by federal force negroes were compelled to leave most of the lands and to make contracts as common laborers the third freedmen's bureau bill gave this the force of law Thousands of Negroes migrated to Florida during 1866 to 1867 because of the land difficulties, the labor contracts, the crop failures. 2,500 migrated to Liberia. Uh, just, just fucking, fuck, fucking Johnson. Fucking Johnson. <laughs> uh, 
The following resolutions were passed at public Whoa. meetings of planters in South Carolina. Oh, I skipped two paragraphs. Landholders used force, fraud, and boycott against farm labor. It was declared in 1868 that in South Carolina, the whites do not think it wrong to shoot, stab, or knock down Negroes on slight provocation. It is actually thought a great point among certain classes to be able to boast that one has killed or beaten a Negro. And this is where we start getting into the whole lynching shit. Yep. Obviously. Um, yeah. The following resolutions were passed at public meetings of planters in South Carolina. Resolved that if inconsistent with views of the authorities to remove the military, we express the opinion that the plan of the military to compel the freedman to contract with his former owner when desired by the latter is wise, prudent, and absolutely necessary. Resolved that we, the planters of the district, pledge ourselves not to contract with any freedman unless he can produce a certificate of regular discharge from his former owner. Resolved that under no circumstances whatsoever will we rent land to any freedmen, nor will we permit them to live in our premises as employees. God damn. In the Abbeville District of South Carolina, it was said, here a planter worked nearly 100 hands near Cokesburg, 10 of them in South Carolina Railroad for six months, the planter receiving their wages, and the remainder on his plantation raising a crop of corn, wheat, rice, and cotton. After the crop was harvested, the laborers were brought to Charleston, where being destitute, they had been rationed by the government. After their arrival in the city, the planter distributed $50 among them. The largest amount anyone received was $1.25, and from that down to $0.50, some receiving nothing. One peck of dry corn a week was the only ration furnished by the farmhands. Meantime, the growth of sentiment in favor of Negro suffrage was quickened because of the action of South Carolina and other states. Chief Justice Chase visited the state and spoke to the Negroes. He said, I believe there is not a member of the government who did, who would not be pleased with the universal oh, sure suffrage. That meant a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we'll pat you guys on the back. We, we totally, we, we believe in you. You're heroes. Uh, The Negroes were already bestirring themselves. In May 1864, at Port Royal, they held a meeting which elected delegates to the National Union Convention, which was to be held in Baltimore in June. In November 1865, the colored people met at Zion Church, Charleston, and protested against the work of the convention and of the legislature. The legislature refused to receive this petition and determined to ignore the matter of Negro suffrage entirely, or attended the National Union Convention in in Philadelphia in 1866, and advised the legislature to reject the 14th Amendment. This legislature did with only one negative vote in both houses. The military commanders under the Reconstruction legislation did much to abolish discrimination. One captain of a vessel was fined who refused to allow a colored woman to ride the first-class passenger, and General Canby, a Kentuckian whom Johnson appointed in March 1867, ordered that Negroes serve on juries. This led to excitement and protests. Remember, guys, not all protests are just. Yeah. They're just against certain, certain political actions. Northern capitalists began to appear in the state. They were at first welcomed. Men of capital are coming from the north, which every streamer in view. And Nathan, this is the first sighting of people oh, of capital. Oh, goody! <laughs> 
of men of capital are coming from the north by every streamer in view of investing in cotton and rice. We're glad to see such a lively trade in South Carolina. It benefits everyone. By the way, sorry to anyone who's not terminally online enough to have had to encounter the uh, people of capital joke <laughs> because <laughs> fuck. Oh, pleasure you. L- later. Yeah. Later, and especially when they began to take part in politics, they were loaded with every accusation. Some of them are army officers, others employees of the Freedmen's Bureau. Some were farmers and some religious and educational leaders. The Negroes naturally turned to them for leadership and received it. They helped organize the Negroes in union leagues in order to teach them citizenship and united action. Northern visitors continued to come. Senator Henry Wilson of Massachusetts spoke at Charleston. After four bloody years, liberty triumphed and slavery has died to rise no more. The creed of equal rights, equal privileges, and equal immunities for all men in America is hereafter to be practical policy for the republic. Never vote unless you vote for the country which made you free. Register your names, vote for a united country, vote for the old flag, vote for change in the constitution of the state that your liberties may be consummated. By the way, I... I don't agree with like never, never vote unless you vote for the country that made you free. But obviously, that's a dig on the Confederacy. I mean, so that's that's fine in context. Conditions. That's not the best out of context, but it's fine in context. Material conditions. Yeah, material conditions. <laughs> Under the Reconstruction Law of 1867, 46,000 whites and 80,000 blacks voted. The planter class refrained from participation and hoped that the scheme would fail. Oh, this is the first color red scheme of voter fraud. Voter fraud. Voter we fraud. Didn't we didn't so vote irrelevant. because voter fraud. That's right. It's, it's fraudulent. Uh, there was a majority <laughs> for the convention. There's a table there. We're not going to read it. Yes. In 10 of the yeah, 31 no. counties where there were white majorities and in the remaining 21 counties, black majorities, party conventions began to meet. The first one was that of the Union Republican Party, which met in Charleston with nine county representatives. It adjourned to Columbia, where 19 counties were represented. It was attended by colored and white men, including some southern men like Thomas J. Robertson, a wealthy native. The reaction among the whites led to three parties. Governor Orr and his party accepted the Reconstruction Acts and planned to work with the Negroes. Wade Hampton proposed to accept the acts, but only with the idea of finally dominating the Negro vote and having Negroes follow the lead of their former masters. Hampton owned large plantations in South Carolina and Mississippi. You don't say. The New York Herald summarized his views as follows. He appeals to the blacks, lately his slaves, as his political superiors to try the political experiment of harmonizing with their late white masters before going into the political service of strangers. The broad fact that the two races in the South must henceforth harmonize on a political basis to avoid a bloody conflict is the ground covered by Wade Hampton. A third part. This is this is a very early acute type of nationalism, right? Like you would have vote America first type Republican, like, if you vote for this, it helps our plantation. We This is in our interest, man. Vote for this. A third party was led by former Governor Perry and Thomas W. Woodward. Strange to say, wrote Perry, there are many persons in the southern states whose high sense of honor would not let them adopt the 14th Amendment, who are now using the people to swallow voluntarily the military bill, regardless of honor, principle, or consistency. If the state were forced to acquiesce in the tyranny of Congress, he added, she need not embrace the hideous thing. If we are to wear manacles, let them be put on by our tyrants, not ourselves. He argued the folly of attempting to control the Negro vote. 
General Hanton and his friends, he asserted, had just as well tried to control a herd of wild buffaloes as the Negro vote. Woodward was violent in denouncing the compromisers. Why, oh why, my southern mm, hard N-word worshippers, he cried, will you grope your way through this worse than Egyptian darkness? Why not cease this crawling on your bellies and assume the upright form of men? Stop, I pray you, your efforts at harmony, your advice about conventions, your pul pusillanimous insinuations about confiscations, etc. Or you will goad these people by flattery to destruction before they have a chance to pick out the cotton crop. Whoo! Now, since we're on the end of that, that long quote in a paragraph, I will mention manacles are those like chain gain, those typical like like chain manacles. cuffs. Yeah, manacles are shackles. Yeah. Yeah, shackles. Same that's thing. good. Yeah. Perry proposed to appeal to the courts and advised the whites to register and vote against the Constitutional Convention. The Convention of Whites was held a week before the Constitutional Convention and 21 of the 2031 districts represented. This convention weighed cooperation on the part of the Negroes of any intelligence utterly impossible. It declared... The fact is patent to all that the Negro is utterly unfitted to the exercise the highest function to uh, is utterly unfitted to exercise the highest function of a citizen. We protest against this subversion of the social order whereby an ignorant and depraved race is placed in power and influence above the virtuous and educated and the refined. The nation was informed that the white people of South Carolina would never acquiesce in Negro equality or supremacy. The president of the convention complained that the declarations were filled with adjectives and epithets which would put a weapon in the hands of the enemies of the movement. I always love how every time they say Negro equality, it's got to come Negro equality or supremacy. It, it, Gotta look out for that Negro supremacy. It never, it never ends, and it's sad, and it's depressing. Yeah. And that yeah, being said, flat, we're, circle, we're gonna we're cetera, gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and pull into the pull into the pit stop of a rest for this week, guys. <laughs> it's been uh it's been a bit of a one. Um I have yeah. a feeling this 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 chapter will get more um more positive as we go along, but but right now it is it is fun and depressing and and all the things of just god damn it. <laughs> Why? Um that being said, David, do you have anything for for wrapping up before we we head into the outro? Uh, no, no. I think I, I don't know if it's because my brain's primed for technological difficulties, um, or just because you know it was a good chapter and there's nothing to jump on. But uh, I don't got nothing. No, I think we way. hit it as we hit it. Um, that being said, this yeah. has been Mark's Madness. We read books. If you wanted to contact us mm -hmm. about our book reading, you have a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, the first of which would be you can reach out to us at our email address. That's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com uh, for your fun, long-form uh, recommendations and things like that. Thank you to anyone who emails us. We really appreciate it. Um, also, uh, moving on to uh, Twitter, you know, because we're all on the dumb bird site and we hate it. Uh, Mark's Madness Pod on at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter is where you can find us. Uh, sometimes we're mostly just retweeting the episodes. We're not, we're not too, too crazy on there, but you know, we're there if you need us and the DMS are open if you want it. Yeah. Um, last but not least, if you wanted to interact with us in a more long form format, uh, we do have a discord server, Mark's madness, pa Mark's madness discord, uh, link is in our Twitter bio. If, you, if the link is expired or you need a new one, just let us know. Um, but the Mark's madness pod, uh, discord is alive and well, we, uh, we hang out, we talk, we, we, you know it's just a good place to have comrades 
to bounce ideas off of or just to talk to or just have someone to you know to vent to during the crazy times but we're we're all there hanging out uh we're playing final fantasy we're doing other stuff too but mostly it's the final fantasy that being said this has been mark's madness pod we read books my name has been nathan my name's david and we will talk to you all next week bye bye